Go for it. episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. Good morning, Tessay. Good morning, good morning. Happy March. Hope you had a nice leap day. Very interesting. Four years. Four years ago, actually, on leap day, I remember it was a trade deadline day. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> see, we couldn't have it again this year. Uh, okay, fun little tidbit. So uh, speaking of the trade deadline, we'll get right into it. Uh, we had a very, very busy one. Uh, I think uh, it broke the record for uh, number, just the sheer number of trades at the trade deadline. A, a lot of us in the hockey world, you know, we were worried that it was going to be a rather quiet, boring deadline. Uh, but I, I believe that it certainly ex- uh, exceeded its expectations. Yeah, uh, that, was, that was one of the things that uh, was so enjoyable about it. Not only that there were such low expectations and it, there ended up being so much movement, but also, uh, what someone pointed out was that a lot of times with deadlines, you'll have like almost all the trades packed in like the last hour or two leading up to the deadline. But here we started getting deals uh, breaking in the morning, like uh, Vladislav Nemesnikov, uh, John Gabriel Pajawal happened at like what ten ten thirty in the morning, and it was spaced out pretty well throughout the, the five hours leading into the deadline. Yeah, it seems like there was a steady flow of trades. Uh, my phone was lighting up with those notifications even past the deadline. I know, I know we got a few deals that were that were announced past that 3 p.m. deadline, and and you know the Habs even made one uh, with Nick Cousins. We'll get into that in a bit. So let's let's start uh, getting into these trades. Uh, the first big one chronologically was uh, the Islanders uh, got John Gabriel Pajot uh, from the Ottawa Senators for a first round pick, a second round pick. Uh, the, and the, the first has a protection on it, as well as a conditional third. Uh, and the condition on that is the Islanders win the Stanley Cup. Uh, and so the initial thoughts on this, on this pretty substantial trade. Yeah, uh, going into the day, uh, it was seen as probably about 50-50 if the Senators were going to uh, either try to hold on to Pajot and sign him to an extension or trade him away. So uh, that kind of made it sound like they really, someone really needed to step up with a big offer. And uh, Lou Lamorello definitely did that. And uh, Lou, he kind of has a tendency. He's like, I think, like 75, 76 years old now. That at this point in his career, he's really not too worried about futures, about prospects and draft picks. So it can kind of make sense from a personal standpoint, at least, that uh, he wouldn't have such a close attachment to these high draft picks. So the, uh, the general consensus that I agree with was uh, the Senators – did extremely well here. The, they're getting another first-round pick in this extremely extremely deep draft. They're going to have their own and the Sharks, which could both be in the top three, and the Islanders. That's probably going to be somewhere in the 15 to 20 range. So that, that's uh, three very high picks. And as for as for the Islanders, I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't really like it very much. Pajot is having a career year, and pretty much all the signs point to it being mostly a product of. Uh, a ton of extra playing time on a terrible Senators team, as well as a, a big spike in shooting percentage that he's on pace to shatter his career high in goals. So I don't see this production keeping up with the Islanders, even though he's done pretty well in his first couple games. I don't see it keeping up for the rest of the season and definitely not uh, for the remainder of that six-year contract. Yeah, and so the details on that contract... Right, he signed for six years, five million dollars per, and uh, I mean that's definitely a hefty price to pay. 
uh, for a guy who hadn't had an exactly a, a, a large history of production on the Senators. Uh, he just happened to, as you said, you know, he has, I think he has something like an 18% shooting percentage, which is ridiculous. And so he's having a great contract year. And to reward him with, with such a huge contract, I think it's a mistake long term. Uh, but as you said, I, I think Lou, uh, I don't know how old he is. I think he's like 84 or something like that. Uh, he's no, really he's not getting that up there old. in age. Oh, okay, he's not. Well, he's he's getting up there. He looks. He yeah. sounds like he's been around for that long. Um, I think he's yeah, like seventy six. He, he's not gonna be there. Okay, seventy six. And so I don't see him lasting the the duration of the contract. Uh, and, and I think this team. Uh, I think it's. I think as an organization, I think it's gearing up. Uh, it's gearing up to win now. Uh, I saw some comments from Barry Trotz about those picks that they gave up, and, and he, he he said to quote him, he said they're nothing uh, because you know a lot of them don't pan out. Uh, I think that kind of view is a tad flawed, but for a team that's going all in, I, I guess I guess that's that's the way to go. Uh, and so yeah, I think Ottawa made out like bandits, getting a first, a second uh, for a guy on an expiring deal who was having just you know what is really a blip uh, over the course of his career. He's 29 years old, and for the Senators to sign him to an extension, I don't think it would have been such a smart move. Uh, and so I think Pesha's yeah, 27. Think, 27. Okay. Well, yeah. I still don't want uh, a 32-year-old Jean-Gabriel Peugeot uh, signed for $5 million. I think the Islanders, I think on the Islanders, he's their third-line center. Uh, and so locking him up uh, for that long, for that term, for your third-line center, uh, I, I'm not such a huge fan. Uh, but look, if the Islanders, I mean, look, if they win the whole thing uh, and Jean-Gabriel Peugeot is a, is a big part of that, uh, I think I think all our, our concerns will be erased. But my concern is that this Islanders team, uh, they're, they're very sound defensively, but I just I don't think the offensive output is there uh, to make such a deep run, especially in such a stacked metro. Yeah, I think we're pretty much on the, the same page about that one. Uh, moving on to another uh, Metropolitan team that was pretty busy acquiring three pretty substantial additions. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes got Vincent Trocek from the Panthers, Brady Shea from the Rangers, and Sammy Vatnin from the New Jersey Devils. So do you have any initial thoughts about any of those three acquisitions? Yeah, I think the first, uh, the biggest trade out of all those uh, is Vincent Tro- the Vincent Trocek trade. Uh, frankly, I have no idea what Florida is doing here, uh, trading away Vincent Trocek. I mean, this guy's locked up for a while under a very good contract. And not to mention Florida, they're in the thick of the playoff race. I have no idea what they're doing trading away uh, one of their top players. Uh, and... It just makes no sense. And given the return uh, that they got, it, it makes even less sense. I mean, uh, I think what, what exactly was the turn? It was, it was Eric Howla, uh, a couple of prospects. And I think they also got a pick out of that. I mean, that simply isn't enough uh, for, you know, the, the quality of player that he is. So, so I have, I just pulled up the trade. It's Eric Howla for Lucas, uh, Eric Howla, Lucas Walmart, Chase Prisky, and Itu Luostarinen. Uh, don't think I pronounced that last one right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just, Close enough. it doesn't make any sense from, uh, Florida's perspective. I think, uh, Carolina absolutely comes out as the winners of this deal. They got an absolute steal for Vincent Trocek. Uh, and frankly, I have no idea what Florida's doing. Uh, they're supposed to be making a playoff push and, uh, they haven't been playing well. So I, I guess Dale Talon soured on Vincent Trocek, uh, and he sold really low because this is frankly just an awful trade. 
on the on the Hurricanes, Eric Halla and Lucas Walmark were, I'm pretty sure, the third and fourth line center basically the entire season. And that's probably where they're best suited on a good team. On the Panthers, I'm pretty sure now each of them has moved up a line. Eric Halla has taken Trocek's spot on the second line with uh with Mike Hoffman and whoever the other winger is, and Lucas Walmark is a third line center. So I, I think I, I showed you the, the lineup on the Panthers after that trade, and we both agreed that doesn't look like a playoff team, uh, especially the forward corps. It's Barkov, uh, Huberto, and Dadanov is a great first line, but beyond that, there's Mike Hoffman and not much else. Vincent Trocek was a very important part of that team, even though he was having a down season. And yeah, I agree, the Hurricanes do come out as, as big winners there. Uh, Sebastian Ajo, Vincent Trocek, Jordan Stahl, that's, that's a great top three centers. That competes with the, the best in the NHL. And uh, that's for the other defensemen they acquired, uh, Brady Shea and uh, Sammy Vatanen. Brady Shea was kind of a surprise to see on the move. Uh, he was He's under contract for, I think, at least four more years. And he was basically the only NHL-caliber left defenseman on the Rangers. Now I think their left defense is, is comprised of like Mark Stahl, Ryan Lindgren and uh, I don't I can't Brendan Smith maybe I think those are the three so they're gonna have a tough time putting a left defense together and especially considering that they're pretty much neck and neck with the Hurricanes right now chasing down that last wild card spot it was a, a very very peculiar trait to see but uh, the the Hurricanes kind of needed to to make a push for these defensemen Brett Pesci we don't know how long he's gonna be out for Dougie Hamilton. Uh, same thing. So so Brady Shea, he can play uh, both sides of the defense. Uh, he looked pretty good uh, watching him last night against the Canadians. And uh, Sammy Vatanen is injured right now too, but I don't think he will be out for that much longer. Yeah, and I think the condition attached to that fourth-round pick that they go- that they gave up for Sammy Vatanen uh, is attached to the number of games that he played. And uh, I think Carolina, you have to say, looking at the haul that they got, the, the amount of players, uh, and the caliber of these players, I think they're definitely one of the winners uh, of this trade deadline, just based on the, the haul that they got. I mean, the Trotrek trade is fantastic. I think a first-round pick for Brady Shea it is a touch on the expensive side, but then again, you know, it is the trade deadline. The prices are inflated, and uh, they really needed those defensemen. I mean, Brett Pesci out long-term, and uh, as you mentioned, Dougie Hamilton, we don't know how long he's out. Uh, and Carolina, I think this team uh, wants to make a deep run this year. And, uh, and they, they needed these players, and I think they had a great deadline. Yeah, uh, I agree. Also, Trocek and Shea have have term left. Uh, Trocek, I think it's at least one more year after this. Uh, it might be two. And Brady Shea, as I said, is uh, is even longer than that. Sammy Vatten is the only rental, and they didn't give up such a, a hefty price for him. So, yeah, Hurricanes definitely winners. Uh, another team, if we're ready to move on, that uh, looks like big winners at the deadline, the Edmonton Oilers acquired uh, two wingers, Andreas Athanasiu and Tyler Ennis, as well as uh, offensive defenseman, I guess we could say, past his prime, Mike Green, uh, who is actually now out for, I think the timeline was three to four weeks, but he should be back in time for for the playoffs and be a contributor there. Yeah, and uh, I think the two biggest points here uh, are the Ennis and Athanasiu trades because uh, both of these guys, I mean, their primary trait in terms of their play, uh, is their speed. And I think, I don't know if they've both been playing with McDavid. I know Athanasiu has been. I think they both have. Uh, they've slotted right into that first line with Connor McDavid. And, uh, you know, it's all about that speed, speed, speed. I think Ken Holland did a good job getting guys uh, who can, you know, keep up with Connor McDavid. I thought I saw a funny thing on Twitter where it was like Connor McDavid, uh, so used to playing with slow guys like Zach Kasson, 
he, he on the rush, he passed it to Tyler Anderson, except he passed it two feet behind him. Uh, and the thing was, you know, uh, maybe he just, he got used to players being, you know, two foot behind him. Uh, <laughs> but I think he did a great job getting these speed players, especially Tyler Ennis. I mean, he only gave up a fifth round pick uh, for a speed guy like that. I think that's a great deal. Uh, when it comes to the Aston Sioux trade, I mean, those two second round picks, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's a trade deadline price. Uh, and they did well, I think, unloading that Sam Gagne contract as well. And so uh, overall, I, I'd say it's a pretty good trade. I don't recall the, the what they gave up for the Mike Green trade, uh, but I think that's a solid addition on that blue line, uh, which is pretty suspect. And uh, so, yeah, a solid addition there. I know Clefbaum uh, has been out recently, and so, you know, I know unfortunate that Mike Green is, is injured so soon uh, after they acquired him, but... Uh, playoff time while he'll be back. I mean, I think that decor needed to be bolstered, and I think Holland did well there. Yeah, uh, I I don't think the Oilers uh, paid were paid too much for for any of these players. Actually, we were we were talking about it being a uh, seller's market going into the deadline, and it really didn't turn out that way. Uh, two second rounders for Athanasiu, um, and they also unloaded the rest of uh, Sam Gagne, Sam Gagne's contract, who was signed for the end of the season. It's uh, really, really not that expensive, especially for a player who's under team control. He's an RFA at the end of the season, and you're expecting him to uh, play on McDavid's line, possibly uh, besides maybe Dreisaitl or Nugent Hopkins, who are probably best suited at center anyway. Maybe the uh, best pure winger that McDavid has played with in his career, which is, I guess, an, an indictment on the Oilers and their past management. But, uh, but that, that's besides the point. That's a good deal. And Tyler Ennis, too. Uh, maybe would be best suited in the on the bottom six, but if you had Zach Cassian playing there before for a big chunk of the season, so I don't think uh, Tyler Ennis is too much of a downgrade there. If he could possibly be, even be an upgrade, and they only gave up a fifth round pick, and Mike Mike Green was uh, I'm pretty sure barely anything. I think it was just a fourth round pick um, to get this player for the rest of the season from the from the Red Wings. So yeah, overall. Uh, Big win for the Oilers. They've finally done what everyone's been yelling at them to do for years is to get uh, a couple more competent wingers to play next to Connor McDavid. And they, they finally did it, and they, they didn't really pay too much. Yeah. Uh, and so moving on from uh, uh, one winner, I believe, to another, uh, where Vegas, they acquired Robin Lehner uh, from the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, uh, it, was a, it was a three-way trade technically because uh, Toronto jumped in to retain some salary on later to make it work. Uh, but Chicago got Malcolm Subban, a second-round pick, uh, Slava Damon, uh, and Vegas got, obviously, Robin Lehner and Martins Jerkals. Uh, so, initial thoughts on this one. I think Vegas, uh, I, th- I think definitely as a whole for the trade deadline, just because of this one move, I think they're one of the, frankly, probably one, probably my biggest winner of the trade deadline, just based on the fact that this team was rolling beforehand. And then they pick up really, I think, and then they cover up, I think, one of their, if not the biggest weakness on the team. Now, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, I think time has caught up with him a bit. I think it was being overplayed because they didn't really have a competent backup there. Uh, and, and I think getting Robin Lehner, who, you know, I think, he could absolutely be a starter, uh, probably best on a tandem, and that's exactly what he's going to be uh, on this Vegas team. Uh, I think it's an absolutely brilliant move. Uh, w- when they made that Cody Eakin trade, I really questioned what they were going to do with that cap space. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I think they they pulled it off brilliantly. 
I think they maximize that cap space. And uh, we, we talked about the success of tandems uh, deep in the playoffs. Uh, and I think Flurry Laner is definitely one to keep an eye on. And just especially the way Vegas has been playing recently, uh, just watch out. Yeah, uh, I think the best case scenario for Vegas is to have Flurry and Leonard play a 50-50 split from now to the end of the regular season, or at least somewhere close to that. And ideally going into the playoffs, uh, you would have one goalie who's your starter, and for Vegas that's still Flurry, who... Uh, starts all the games and plays well and the best case scenario would be to never have to play Leonard but but obviously having that insurance if Fleury does falter or if he would happen to get injured is extremely important we we've talked uh, several times on the show about in recent years how uh Philip Grubauer started the playoffs for the for the Capitals and then Holtby came in and they won the cup how uh Fleury and Matt Murray when the Penguins won in 2017 uh, pretty much played about half the playoff games each, if I'm not mistaken. Matt Murray was um, was injured for a lot of that series against Washington, if I remember. So yeah, these tandems are obviously uh, extremely important. Vegas also acquired uh, Nick Cousins, which we're going to get to a little bit later when we dive into the Canadians' deals. But Vegas has been uh, very hot lately. I think they're riding a seven-game winning streak. And at this point, there are a lot of people's uh, favorites to come out of the Western Conference. Yeah, I certainly like them, uh, as much as it pains me to say so, uh, given that I don't really like that franchise. But uh, yeah, I think I think Vegas definitely a favorite to come out of the West because just we've ta- I've talked about, I've ranted about how weak the West is, has been this year. And uh, I think definitely I don't really see any other uh, big contenders. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, if I were to make my pick for the West right now, I think it'd definitely be Vegas. Cool, cool. All right. Uh, well, there are a couple teams that could possibly get in their way. St. Louis, Colorado come to mind. But uh, yes, Vegas, uh, quite possibly the favorite there. Um, next uh, team that I want to talk about a little bit made a couple uh, peculiar choices in the days leading up to deadline day and deadline day. Uh, although they still are a cup favorite, the Tampa Bay Lightning traded a first round pick and Anthony Greco, minor league player, to the San Jose Sharks in exchange for a third-round pick, and Barkley Goodrow, whose uh, most notable achievement this far in his career has been scoring the overtime game-winning goal in Game 7 for the San Jose Sharks last year in the first round against the Golden Knights. Besides that, uh, not much else. And at best, most people would call this guy uh, a third-liner, and Tampa Bay gave up a first-round pick for him. Some some people are questioning if he was even worth a third-round pick, or if he was more valued a fifth, uh, fourth, fourth, somewhere in the mid-round picks. Uh, so that kind of had a lot of people shaking their heads. And me too. What were your thoughts about it? Yeah, it's it's a bit of a head scratcher in terms of value. Uh, I know Tampa supposedly, you know, they're the they're the cup favorites right now, and they're going all in. But uh, I mean. I don't think all in means getting whatever players you can at outrageous prices. And frankly, I think this price is outrageous for Barkley Goodrow. I don't know if this guy has had 10 goals in a season his whole career. Uh, and frankly, I don't know what he does on this uber-talented uh, Lightning team. He probably fits in on the third line, maybe even the fourth. Uh, and, fr- and frankly, give up a first-round pick for that guy? Uh, too much. I defended that Blake Coleman trade. I think they, they, they maybe needed that kind of guy, especially a guy who's under team control. Uh, but Barkley Goodrow, I mean, I think he's just a tier below Blake Coleman and to still give up a first round pick for that. Uh, I, I don't think it's such a great look. Obviously if he's a key contributor in the playoffs, 
Uh, nobody's complaining at the end of the season, but for, I don't really see that happening uh, because it's Barkley Goodrow. What, other than that one goal that you mentioned, he hasn't done much in his career. Uh, and, you know, he's like a middle six forward on an eh team. And uh, I think San Jose did a great job uh, selling this guy off for a first-round pick. Are you kidding me? I mean, if he was on my team and I sold him for a first-round pick, I'd be freaking elated. Uh, and so I think San Jose has to be very happy with this return. Uh, and Tampa, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to make our judgments uh, after the season if they win the cup. Uh, but just looking at the initial value, uh, I, I don't think this is such a smart move. Yeah, uh, you were praising the Sharks a little bit. Uh, I don't know if the Sharks deserve much praise because from what I could tell, the Lightning, well, the Sharks weren't shopping Barkley Goudreau to begin with. He is, uh, he's making under a million dollars and he's under team control. Uh, from what I could tell, the Lightning were the ones who went to the Sharks and offered this uh, this exuberant price. And they, they, they said, I think Julian Breezeball said in an interview, if you want to get these players uh, that aren't being shopped, you're going to have to step up and blow, blow the, other, the other team away. And I mean, well, they, they succeeded at that. They succeeded, succeeded at their mission. But I don't see uh, why why they would feel the need to, to make this move, especially to give up a first-round pick for a team that, uh, well, obviously in win-now mode. But um, they just had they had two first-round picks going into the deadline, uh, a great chance to start restocking the, the cupboards. And and uh, they, they kind of just they, they blew it on a couple guys that, well, Blake Coleman, who you're going to have for about for another season and a half, maybe you'll sign him to an extension, but probably not considering the cap. Uh, implications that will be there uh and i think there were plenty of better well not maybe not better internal options but but decent enough internal options like mitchell stevens uh carter verhage who had been playing well all year i think that these two moves the blake coleman and the barkley Gaudreau, were were just unnecessary for the lightning i still think they've got a great shot at the stanley cup might even be the favorites of course because well improvements to the these are improvements to the present day roster but in terms of the overall outlook, I, I'm not a fan of these moves. Yeah, and if you zoom out a bit for the Lightning, uh, if you you could probably get a hell of a better player than Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow combined if you offered a team, you know, a package consisting of both of those first-round picks uh, and, and Nolan Foote. And so, you know, you, you got to wonder... Uh, you know, what kind of what kind of return could you have if, you know, you made it a huge package instead of these, you know, you overpay for a player here, you overpay for another player here. And what you end up with is, you know, a couple of middle six forwards, uh, especially Barkley Goodrow, who, you know, I maybe even a bottom six forward, who knows, on this Tampa Bay Lightning team. Uh, and so, you know, you have to wonder what Wait, Julian just, Bourgeois... Yeah? Yeah, that just made me think of something. Do you think uh, if you had packaged Nolan Foote with these two first-round picks, that could have made the the Coyotes part with Taylor Hall? Absolutely, I think so. I mean, uh, I, the, the Coyotes, I know they're in a playoff spot, but they, they haven't been anything special. And, they're not in a playoff I spot mean, anymore. Like that, I think, yeah, okay, not in a playoff. Okay, even worse. And so I think they could certainly use... Uh, that, I mean, that would be a spectacular haul for Taylor Hall, especially given what Arizona gave up uh, to get him. And so I think Arizona would certainly take a very hard look at that price. But, you know, this is all what if. And, uh, I mean, I would have loved to see Taylor Hall in the Lightning, let me tell you that. Uh, and, and I think they probably could have made it happen under the cap if, you know, Arizona retains half and all that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think, I, think, I think it's something definitely under consideration if they gave up, you know, if they offered two first-round picks, 
uh, at Nolan Foot for Taylor Hall. Uh, if I'm Arizona and I'm struggling to make the playoffs, uh, I think I would do that. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, that didn't materialize. And I think Tampa comes out of this maybe with a bit of a disappointing haul, especially what they gave up. Yeah, uh, I think we were, we were both in agreement about that. So uh, the, the next deal was another, speaking of head scratchers, this was probably the most confusing trade of the day. Uh, Wayne Simmons went uh, actually waived his no-trade clause, or his limited no-trade no clause maybe, to go from the New Jersey Devils to the Buffalo Sabres, who are uh, not at all going to make the playoffs. Um, and well, obviously, you would think of a rental as going to a team with with playoff aspirations. And the the Sabers are uh, just to give you an idea uh, behind the Canadians in the standings and uh, fourth last in the Eastern Conference. So they are in no position at all to be acquiring rentals, even just for a fifth round pick, uh, like like the one they gave up for Wayne Simmons. So uh, I have no idea what the Buffalo Sabres were thinking here. And f furthermore, um, I believe the entire state of New Jersey should be terribly insulted that Wayne Simmons waived his no-trade clause to leave New Jersey to go to Buffalo. Yeah, absolutely. My, first of all, my sympathies uh, to Dwayne for having to deal with yet another absolute, you know, train wreck of a move from this organization. Uh, I just, I have no idea what Buffalo is doing here. I mean, I understand it's only a fifth round pick, uh, but why, why are you giving away fifth round picks when your team is clearly not going to make the playoffs? I mean, sure, Wayne Simmons, good in the locker room. What good does that do you if he after, for, for what, like three months uh, or, or not even like two months in which he's like, you're not going to make the playoffs. You have no shot whatsoever. Uh it's just I have no idea what they're doing. They're behind the Habs. Uh, that just that's just a testament to how bad this team is, how far they are from making the playoffs. Uh, you know, just I, I have no idea what's happening here from from the Buffalo perspective. Uh, just yeah, just just a head scratch. I don't know what they're doing. I mean, we're just talking about or total organizational incompetence here. Uh, a lack of direction. I mean, are we selling? Are we buying? Uh, it just seems like they have no idea what's happening and. Uh, yeah, just Buffalo's totally out of it, and uh, yeah, just a miserable franchise, and this is a kind of miserable move you expect from, you know, this kind of tire fire, and, uh, you know, just it's this kind of move where, you know, it just happens time after time, and it adds up, uh, where you just never make the playoffs, which has been the case for this, you know, moribund franchise. Just to put this, this trade into, to, uh, into context a little bit. Um, at the time, on, on deadline day, the Sabres were, at that point, 6-2, and two. In their last eight games, and I think they were about four points, four or five points, maybe back of the wild card spot. And they were, they well, this move would indicate they wanted to make a push, try to make the playoffs. Which I mean, after after nine years of missing the playoffs, is somewhat commendable. So they go out and get Wayne Simmons. They also make a a trade for Dominic Cahoon with the Penguins, um, which kind of makes a little more sense because Cahoon, I think, is an RFA at the end of the season. And, uh, yeah, then they lose three in a row. Lost to Colorado, lost to Vegas, lost to Arizona. Uh, they're 0-3 since the deadline, 0-3 since adding Wayne Simmons. And it uh, looks, pretty, looks pretty bleak for the Sabres. So uh, I think this was to be expected from, from pretty much everyone. And uh, except maybe Sabres management, who thought they had turned a corner. But, uh, but alas, Buffalo is, is still Buffalo indeed. Yeah, just total dog shit, and uh, we've come to expect this. I mean, nobody buys Buffalo anymore. They go on a nice little heater. Everybody says they're going to crash back down, and what do you know? They always freaking crash back down, uh, and, and just nowhere near the playoffs, nowhere near relevance. 
And uh, yeah, my sympathies to Buffalo fans because they just have to keep enduring this. And I don't know how it's been how long since they've been in the playoffs. Uh, it just seems like it's been forever. And so uh, in, in a league where there's incredible parity and half the teams make the playoffs, to miss this long, to have a team this bad, uh, to always be in perpetual rebuild, uh, it's just confusing. If you want to go all in, whatever. I mean, it's probably the wrong move, but whatever, go for it. But to get only Wayne Simmons and Dominic Cahoon, I don't see how they could possibly think that moves the needle at all, uh, other than just maybe wasting some assets on the Simmons trade. And so just no sense whatsoever. Uh, and uh, so... I was just thinking, yeah. uh, may- maybe... Uh... This could be a, a fun concept for an episode during the off season is to do like to dedicate an episode to a to a deep dive on the Sabres since the last time they made the playoffs in twenty eleven. See where it all went wrong. Maybe track track the revolution. Just maybe uh, we'll put a pin in that. See if we'll re- revisit that at some point in a couple months. Yeah, absolutely. Deep dive. Uh, a year by year exploration into how this team uh, is dog shit every single freaking year. We'll get at that. We'll save that for the offseason. Uh, yeah, August or we'll July. We'll try to remember it. All right. Yeah, moving on. Uh, next trade, The we talked about the Pittsburgh Penguins acquiring Connor Sheary for Dominic Cahoon. Uh, they made another trade with the San Jose Sharks. Now, they uh, sent a conditional third, a 2021 conditional third, which upgrades to a second-round pick if the Penguins win the Cup, uh, in exchange for Patrick Marlowe. And so what are your thoughts on this one? Um, uh- my thoughts are uh, that's a pretty high pick to pay for a 40-year-old who at this point in his career is a bottom six winger. But on the other hand, I don't really, I don't really mind it because, well, unlike the Sabres, the, the Penguins actually do have cup aspirations. They've done it several times in recent memory. And adding someone like Patrick Marlowe to the team, uh, kind of, it kind of keeps things fresh gives it an, an extra boost, you know, the, the the win it for Patty sort of thing. They tried it with with a Ginla in 2013. They made it to the third round. It didn't quite work. Now it's a similar thing they're doing again with the old guy without a cup ring. So I think a lot of people will be pulling for the Penguins, pulling for Patrick Marlowe in the playoffs so he can uh, possibly get his Ray Bork moment. So I don't really mind the deal for the Penguins, and I, I like it for, for the Sharks. They, they got Patrick Marlowe back for – for free, basically, who who was bought out by the Hurricanes, and now they they got this asset out of him. So so I'd say I'd say good work for both sides. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree on that front. And uh, speaking of old sharks uh, who are chasing a cup, uh, but this one did not get traded. Joe Thornton. Now uh, he he was not dealt at the deadline, and he expressed his disappointment uh, that he wouldn't be able to chase a cup this season. I know there are rumors to maybe even going back to Boston. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I think this is, uh, for the hockey world, this is definitely a disappointment. I mean, Joe Thornton has not won uh, a Stanley Cup yet. Would love to see him win one. And uh, I, I don't know. I, do you think that, I think the Sharks uh, deserve some criticism for not shipping him off for some sort of minimal return because, you know, who wouldn't love to see Joe Thornton win a Stanley Cup? Yeah, uh, so the, the Sharks were getting a lot of criticism for not getting anything for Joe Thornton. Not only that, but uh, doing Joe Thornton a solid to – to ship him off to a uh, Stanley Cup contender, but but the way I look at it, it it really isn't that simple because a lot of signs pointed to, like you know the high uh, you know the big cup contenders, Tampa, Boston, St. Louis, Colorado, whoever, Vegas, weren't interested in, in acquiring Joe Thornton because well at, at this he's the kind of player that that doesn't really work well 
in a in limited ice time, you know, a bottom six role. But uh, he kind of, you know, he isn't good enough to be a top six center anymore. So it's this weird place that Joe Thorne's in that maybe it'll be hard for him to, even if he did stay in the NHL, even if he doesn't retire this summer and maybe signs with another contending team, uh, I don't. I don't see if he could fit in well as like a, a fourth line center. You know, he isn't a fast player. He still uh, works on, um, not works on his strength in his game is his passing, his playmaking ability. So as a fourth line center, I don't know if a lot of teams can see a fit there, which we was kind of an indication that we got at, at this trade deadline. So a uh, very strange spot Joe Thornton and the Sharks were in. It sucks that uh, he couldn't get traded to uh, as a, a contending team like he wanted to. But uh, all in all, I'm not I'm not too shocked that it didn't happen, and I don't think the Sharks should get too much blame. I don't know. I'm kind of disappointed. I would have loved to see him on a, on a different team uh, trying to make that cup. Uh, and I frankly disagree. I think he would have fit in fine uh, in a depth role. I think – I mean, the, the as much as, you know – a, yeah, just the, the locker room leadership, I think he could bring something to the to any team that could acquire him. And uh, But yeah, I, it's just a small storyline. I would have loved to, you know, cheer him on uh, with the halves on the sideline this playoff season. Uh, but yeah, it's just one of those things uh, that didn't work out. Uh, and speaking of trades that didn't materialize, uh, uh-huh. big rumor coming out. Yeah, big rumor coming out of the, uh, the, the Twitter sphere. Uh, a potential huge trade cap implication wise where uh there were rumors coming out in new york and minnesota where the islanders would acquire zach parise uh he of noted huge contract uh in exchange for you know some assets and uh andrew ladd uh who's no longer playing and so uh yeah your thoughts on this uh this trade that didn't happen yeah uh well the the thought that everyone had was because lou lamorello of course is an extremely secretive general manager and never lets anything leak out. So that the fact that this some uh, somehow managed to get out get out into the public before it was finalized, some people were theorizing that maybe Lou said, "All right, it's in the public now. Uh, no more, no more trade." Uh, yeah, just totally totally cancels it. I don't think that's the case. Uh, apparently, the Islanders and Lou started talking to Minnesota about a possible Zach Parise trade last summer when Paul Fenton was still the general manager, but obviously nothing ever happened. And now they started revisiting it again, now leading into the deadline. And um, I'm, uh, well, when, so, when a trade uh, leaks out into the public like that on deadline day, usually it's a foregone conclusion that it's about to happen. But with something like this, where there's, you know, s- such big contracts, Zach Parise and Andrew Ladd, who's been uh, in the AHL for most of the season, it can be pretty tricky to work out all the numbers, work out the contracts, not to mention all the other assets and actually negotiating a trade. So I do expect that because this sounded like it was relatively close to coming to fruition, it will be revisited in the offseason. Might happen sometime in, in June or July. Uh, because, well, Zach Parise, even though he is a very expensive player and is still signed until 2025 when he is, I think, like a... Uh, how old will he be? He'll be about 40 years old, 41 maybe. Uh, he's still an effective player, possibly a, a second line, maybe a, a good third line winger who would definitely improve the Islanders, uh, at least now. So I could see this still happening in the summer. Yeah, I get the feeling that they kind of ran out of time near the end there, uh, especially given the fact that just these, these contracts, uh, especially Parise, uh, just managing the cap, 
uh, is, you know, is you're, you're talking about a lot of considerations here. Uh, you know, maybe you even have to take into account, you know, Perzize, if he ever retires, then he's got that huge cap recapture penalty that's going uh, Minnesota's way. And so mm-hmm. I just think that, you know, just maybe a bit too complicated uh, for a last minute, you know, buzzer beating deal. Uh, and yeah, I look forward to them potentially revisiting this over in the uh, over in the summer. And uh, yeah, just uh, it would have been definitely interesting to see the the, the cap mesh, you know, the cap mechanisms uh, when it comes to this deal. Uh, if it happened at the deadline, but uh, yeah, just I think I think the Islanders uh, for a player like Parise, I think they could have used them uh, because you know the main struggle for the Islanders uh, this season has been their scoring. Uh, it just seems that they haven't gotten those points, and uh, yeah, just I guess it just didn't work out. They got Pajot. Uh, they seem to be very happy with that. So uh, yeah, just it, it's just one of those things that didn't work out, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, so now that we've acknowledged uh, most of the, the other teams in the National Hockey League, uh, or at least the ones who made significant trades, uh, I think it might be time to move on to the team that is obviously most important. Um, the Montreal Canadiens made a couple different deals on deadline day, including uh, one the night before, Ilya Kovalchuk, that we haven't talked about yet. A lot of people were disappointed by the Canadiens' deadline, and for me, the, the worst part about it was that I wasn't even expecting to come away satisfied, so I couldn't have possibly been disappointed, which is possibly the worst place to be in as a fan. Yeah, it just seemed like, you know, yeah, we've talked about this before, how, you know, Bergevin, his expectations and our expectations for the team, uh, it just seems that, you know, we're, we've been steeped in mediocrity for a while now, and uh, yeah, and, and our expect, expectations have come down. Uh, and so let's let's start getting into these trades. Uh, you mentioned the Kovalchuk one. Uh, the Habs sent him to Washington for a third round pick. Uh, I think I think the, the return is certainly interesting, given that you know there were rumors that we were, Bergman was offered a second earlier. We we talked about how Kovalchuk's value seemed to have gone down because he disappeared over that last little stretch before the deadline, uh, which is pretty unfortunate. Uh, and you know we were we were hoping that you know maybe they even get a. Uh, a, a second and something else, maybe even a first, uh, if it really got crazy. Uh, but uh, yeah, third round pick. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's a free third round pick, given that they signed him midseason for league men. Uh, and so, you know, you got to think, you know, a solid win for Bergevin. Uh, what concerns me the most, actually, is uh, a, a response that Bergevin gave in an interview afterwards uh, when it came to Kovalchuk. It turns or it, it turns out that you know. What he had a bunch of offers for for Kovalchuk, right? And basically, he had his options. He presented them to the player, and he let him choose uh, where he wanted to go. Uh, I don't remember what exactly other teams there were that that offered something, but apparently, Bergevin turned down uh, a higher return uh, in order to please Kovalchuk so that he could re-sign him in the summer. Uh, frankly, I think that's horrendous general managing. Uh, I don't know what you're doing giving that kind of power to your player, uh, team management-wise. Uh, just, I, I don't know, just really stupid. I, I, just, I mean, first of all, I don't get his whole attachment to re-signing Kovalchuk in the first place. Uh, but to do this just to please him uh, makes no sense to me. Uh, you're just turning down assets. Uh, and yeah, you got a free third-round pick. Probably could have been more given this information. And yeah, just very, very, you know, it's pretty enraging, frankly, because this guy's turning down, you know, better offers uh, to, to please a player who, you know, yeah, just, I, 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 I don't know what to say. Yeah. Uh, I brought up 
brought a couple a, a couple things that could possibly uh, make sense for why Bergeron would want to give these these options. First of all, I don't think that Bergeron would have turned down a pick a full round higher. If anyone had offered a second rounder, then I think I think Bergeron would have definitely made that deal. In terms of what could possibly be a better offer, I don't know, maybe a third and a seventh, which I still disagree with with letting this player who's been on your team for a month and a half choose his destination. But it maybe isn't maybe isn't that as catastrophic if it's just like slightly better. Or it, it could have just been a third round pick from a team that's projected to pick a little higher than the Capitals. So kind of the same thing in that case. If it does come out that someone offered a second rounder and Bergevin still let Kovalchuk uh, choose his own fate and go join Ovechkin with the Capitals, then we've got a problem at that point. And uh, Bergevin did an interview with uh, someone from La Presse that we're going to talk about a little later. Uh, that kind of makes it sound like he uh, really expects, or at least has high hopes, that he'll be bringing Ilya Kovalchuk back for next season. And not only does this increase the odds of that happening, you know, holding on to that that goodwill, it it could also um, other players will, could hear about this and possibly be more inclined to sign with Montreal. Hearing these things about Mark Bergevin, you know, treating these players so so well and so so nicely, but uh, these are uh, I still would say uh, small small arguments to make in in favor of uh of letting a player choose where they go because Bergman's number one priority should be getting the most possible for these assets not to mention I don't think seeing how uh Kovalchuk's uh last couple weeks went with the Canadians uh his play really kind of went down I think I said last week Maybe the, the adrenaline was kind of lost and joining a new team, having this last chance to be in the NHL. Maybe it kind of, kind of disappeared. He wasn't playing as well. So I'm not sure if I'm that enthusiastic about the idea of maybe bringing him back for another full season next year. We, we could see if he kind of gets some, some bounce back with the Capitals. I'm not exactly sure how, how his first couple of games have gone, to be totally honest. But, uh, yeah, I'm definitely not sold on uh, – the thought that bring Kovalchuk back for another year next season would be such a good idea. Yeah, and the rumors that we heard before the trade were that they were working on extension, and, and the Rangers going to be somewhere in the you know two, three, four million dollars for for one season. Uh, I mean, that's just too much uh, for a guy who played for you for two weeks. I mean, and who really tailed off near the end there. Uh, I just don't know what's what's the big obsession Bergevin has with Kovalchuk. I just really don't get it, frankly. Uh, and when it comes to those, you know, those. Those, you know, potential benefits to, you know, giving a player this kind of option, I think those are intangible. And I don't think they they I don't think they're relevant in the grand scheme of things. And I think the other downside that I would present is that it's it sets a pretty dangerous precedent in terms of a GM. Uh, I don't know if you want to you, you know what I mean? Like uh for a player who was there for two weeks, you gave him that kind of option. Now we're talking like other players that you might trade, they'll be wondering why why did why wasn't I given that option? And so uh it's just I this whole situation, it seems to be kind of, I don't know, it just, I don't understand where Bergevin is coming from, uh, whether it's this whole option thing and, and just resigning him as a whole. Uh, I don't think allocating $3 million of the cap space to him next year uh, is, is a wise investment. And I don't care what kind of energy he brings, how he is off the ice. Uh, it's just, he doesn't bring it up on the ice, uh, especially given his age, uh, to, to warrant that big contract uh yeah and that 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 about wraps my thoughts for uh Kovalchuk 
Yeah, one nice thing about this, though, uh, is that Ilya Kovalchuk will have a, a shot at the Stanley Cup. So the Capitals will be one of the teams that I certainly wouldn't mind to see get another Stanley Cup their second three years to see uh, Kovalchuk get the the first one of his career. Kovalchuk, uh, Marlowe, too, with the Penguins. Though they could very possibly be going head-to-head, uh, possibly even in the in the in the first round with how the the Flyers have been shooting up the standings lately. Yeah, uh, and we talk about these these old guys who haven't won a cup. Uh, you just you, I mean, they're just such a fun narrative to follow uh, when it comes to when it comes to the playoff time, especially if your team is sitting on the sideline like ours will. And so, uh, yeah, just uh, you know, fun narrative. I'll definitely be following uh, Kovalchuk, and uh, I'll be happy for him if he performs. Uh, but if it means he gets more of a cap hit, I won't be so happy. I would tell you that. Uh, and so, moving on uh, to the next trade that the Montreal Canadiens made. We talked, we've talked about him and how uh, we needed to, to sell him off. And uh, that's uh, because he is a UFA at the end of the season. Uh, Nate Thompson uh, was sent to the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, and the Habs got a fifth-round pick for him. And uh, I, I think the Habs did relatively well. I think, uh, you know, Nate Thompson, fourth-line forward. Uh, I mean, I think Philly did well as well. I think uh, a fifth-round pick isn't so much. I think he's a quality depth addition. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think you could have expected much more for Nate Thompson. Yeah, this was pretty much exactly what you expected the return would be for uh, a veteran fourth-line center, good leader. Uh, he was uh, was very good with the Canadians for his one year, so definitely surpassed expectations after only uh, having to move down about 20 spots in the draft. That was the price to pay for acquiring him, and now they, they get a, a full pick out of it. A fifth rounder. Uh, I believe it's 2021. The pick, so it won't be this year in Montreal. But uh, but either way, uh, yeah, not not a bad move for either team. Not not such a big move either. Um, next trade uh, was a, a full minor league trade that Montreal made. Sent Matthew Pekka to the Ottawa Senators in exchange for Aaron Luchuk and a seventh round pick. The name Aaron Luchuk might sound a little bit familiar, and it's because we actually talked about him on last show too because he was he was traded from uh, Toronto to Ottawa about five days before Ottawa traded him to Montreal on deadline day. Yeah, and uh, I think I think the Habs did well uh, relative to, you know, it's, it's a minor league trade, you know, how there's no big ceiling for winning these kind of things. But, uh, I mean, Matthew Pekka, uh, he's been a he's basically a career AHLer at this point, and uh, Aaron Luchuk. I mean, you're getting younger at that point, so sure, uh, he's 22 years old, uh, and so you know, I I, I don't think Matthew Pekka was going to do anything big. So I mean, in terms of raising your ceiling, maybe you bump it up a touch, uh, and a, and a seventh round pick. Uh, you can't get enough of these uh, late rounders, and uh, you know, we got Caden Primo out of a seventh round pick, and so uh, you know, you never know these things. It's really just kind of a lottery. Uh, you just kind of mm-hmm. the, the late rounds. You might as well get a pick, and uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's just a solid trade. Yeah, uh, last trade Montreal made the one that you talked about it a little bit before, and I think I did too when talking about Vegas. Uh, Nick Cousins, uh, who was only on the team for about half a season, and uh, kind of cemented himself in some sort of uh, some meme lore amongst the. Canadians fan base in terms of Claude Julien inexplicably playing him sometimes uh, near the the most among forwards for the Canadians, giving him power play time. Uh, Nick Cousins went to Vegas for a uh, fourth round pick. 
Um, I am pretty sure, yeah, Cousins is an RFA at the end of this season and only making a million right now. Probably wouldn't make uh, much more than that on his next contract, considering he's probably a fourth liner. Uh, to be honest, I probably would have expected more than this. I probably would have projected around a third rounder if the Canadians were gonna were gonna trade Nick Cousins. I don't know. I thought I thought a fourth round pick was pretty appropriate. Uh, I just he's he's a fourth liner. I mean, like, oh, what more can you expect? Uh, I understand that he's under he's got a nice little deal. He's under team control for the next little while. But uh, you know, with the the youth movement coming in Montreal, hopefully, uh, you know, you clear up another roster spot, you get a mid round pick. Uh, I, I I just I don't I wasn't expecting that much more for Nick Cousins. I mean, it's Nick Cousins. Uh, I know Claude Julia loved him a lot, but uh, I, I just I didn't expect the you know I didn't I think this is probably appropriate for Vegas. I think Vegas gets a quality addition uh, under a nice contract because they are pretty cap strapped. Uh, and so yeah, I, I kind of like this trade for both sides. Uh, and you know I don't think Nick Cousins was going to do anything on the Habs. You know nothing big. And so you know getting a fourth round pick, I think it's a solid a solid return. So when when your team is tanking like like Montreal is at least somewhat at this point. Um... You, you want them to still be able to somehow inspire confidence in the future and in the, the possible or the, the potential for the makeup of the team, uh, maybe next season, maybe further down the line. Uh, and I do not think, at least recently, the Canadians have done that. In their last 10 games, uh, well, first of all, they have three wins, which is, I guess, about what you would expect at this point. But what's concerning is that I count one two, three, four, five times. That's half of those games where they had a multi-goal lead and ended up losing. Not to mention last night's game against the Hurricanes where they had a 3 nothing lead and came extremely close to blowing it. They needed overtime to, to win 4-3. to three. So that is, if you count last night against the Hurricanes, six games out of the past ten, a blown multi-goal lead, which is, uh, I would say, concerning, but that might be putting it putting it lightly. Uh, is this a new NHL record? Because I have a, I can't remember something like this ever happening, possibly at some point, but uh, but I, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Yeah, it's incredible. I can't believe it. It just seems like every game, they come out to a nice little lead, and then they blow it. Uh, it just speaks to, I don't know what it speaks to. Does it speak to the lack of talent? Does it speak to lack of mental fortitude? Uh, I just don't know. It's probably a combination of both of them. Uh, they come out strong. We've seen this all throughout the season, frankly. They come out strong. They come out, they get in a nice little lead. And then it just seems at the end of games, at the end of periods, they kind of peter out and blow everything. And so, yeah, I don't know what it is. They can't play 60 minutes. They can't play 20 minutes a period. Uh, and it's just these blown leads. I come to expect them at this point. Uh, it's just ridiculous. I mean, they've lost so many games. And you're talking about, actually, funny enough, if you didn't blow any of those five, those multi-goal leads, mind you, in those five games, you're in a playoff spot right now. Uh, and so, just, uh, I mean, they did it, they did it again last night. Well, if I was following the game, I think I wasn't even watching at this point in the season because, you know, whatever, they're tanking. Uh, it's not worth watching. But I see that they're up 3 nothing, and, you know, Carolina scores a goal, they score, they score another goal, and I'm thinking they're definitely going to tie before the end of the game. And lo and behold, they, they score with a minute uh, and change left in the game. Obviously, Petrie scored in overtime, and they won the thing, but... But Christ, they blew another multi-goal lead. It's just incredible. Uh, you mentioned NHL record, probably in a span of ten games to blow so many. Uh, just, just I, I don't know what's wrong with this team, uh, and certainly something to keep track of uh, next year because, yeah, yeah, hopefully they get it together. Maybe it's coaching. I don't know what it is, but uh, yeah, there's certainly a problem there. This really, above all else, 
uh, to me, points out a tremendous flaw in Mark Bergevin's philosophy. You probably remember when he was first hired in 2012, the word he kept repeating was character, as if, uh, you know, being, being a, a, you know, a good character individual is the, the key to having a, a successful hockey team. Uh, Jeff Fayette, uh, I think, had, has the, uh, the best, uh, as a very good analogy for what, what character, that character should be like, I think the icing on the cake is what he uses. Uh, I don't really like that one because, well, cake without icing sucks. So maybe something like, like I don't know, uh, sprinkles on the ice cream or something that you can have, have great, you can have a great team uh, without character. But but character makes it a little bit better. But if you build the entire, uh, well, I guess from I, I'll go with the cake one. The cake one's better than the ice cream one, actually. Now that now that I reevaluate, he says if you make the entire cake out of icing, it's going to make you sick. So so I guess uh, you could probably tell that if you try to build your hockey team where character is your priority and uh, talent and actually being good at hockey as secondary, then you're going to end up with something like this, a team that makes you sick, a team that isn't any good. Uh, and when you when your team isn't any good, even though you had this character and you, you start to lose and blow these leads like this, then character not only becomes irrelevant, but it could possibly start to fade away. And this is where you could possibly get with so much, all these passionate individuals, things like infighting, like we saw with the, the last last core we had with you know Gallagher and Subban having that that feud and Galchenyuk and Pacioretty possibly not getting along all these things so I think if this this kind of thing keeps up with all this, this character that Bergevin has allegedly put together I don't think it's uh, out of the realm of possibility that the same kind of thing starts happening yeah so let's talk about uh Mark Bergevin there was this article uh that we mentioned earlier that came out uh, I think it came out in the press. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, just he talks about, you know, his his whole, his tenure as a whole and his vision for the future and, 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 and what was his plan, this trade deadline. And, you know, reading this, reading other quotes that he's come out with his press conferences recently after the deadline, I mean, I, it just seems like this guy does no idea what he's doing. Uh, he's totally lost. He has no vision whatsoever. And uh, I, I point to... This whole trade Petri trade Tatar thing, okay? Like, like, okay. So I am not opposed uh, to. Eh, I'm not opposed to trading the guy. I'm not opposed to not trading either of the guys. Uh, I think, but like, it just seems that Bergevin uh, wants to have it both ways. He wants to kind of stray in the middle between rebuild and, and going for playoffs. Like, okay, so uh, he doesn't want to sell off Petri and Tatar, but. His long-term plan doesn't, it moves past next year. And so he doesn't really, like he says he wants to make the playoffs next year. Like he doesn't want to sell those guys to abandon hope. Uh, and so he doesn't think that's that. But he also, you know, doesn't want to acquire any pieces for next year. And so it just seems like he's content with mediocrity. Uh, and so what's probably going to happen next year, maybe we make the playoffs uh, we get eliminated in the first round, and Tatar and Petrie both walk, and we get nothing out of them. Uh, and so it, I don't know what Bergevin is doing. It just seems he has no vision whatsoever. Uh, something that point I, I, you know, I thought an interesting quote from this article was that uh, he he believes that his whole reset, his second rebuild, uh, this new one right now that he he started in 2018, he thinks it would have been better accepted 
uh, had he been hired in 2018 and his past record had been erased. And I think that's frankly a ridiculous quote from him. Uh, I don't know what he's thinking. I just say, well, you, well, you expect us to ignore your whole past, uh, your failed uh, five-year plan that w- when you first got hired. Uh, it just seems like this guy, I, he, has, he has no direction. He has no plan to take this team from mediocrity right now to playoff contention. Uh, I just, he has, he has no great plan. He says he has a five-year plan, but I keep talking about, you know, like, okay, we'll keep this guy, uh, we'll keep Petrie and uh, Tatar, but we're not going to make any moves to complement these guys in the last year of their contracts. Uh, and so, yeah, I just, a- any thoughts on this? Uh, I, I, at this point, I'm very frustrated with Mark. I have plenty of thoughts about this. One of the most telling things, I think, from the press conference on deadline day, uh, he someone asked him about uh, not trading to Taran Petrie, and he said that he wants to hold on to this core and try to make the playoffs again next year because he believes that they can. And Stu Cohen uh, asked something in the vein of, uh, this core has missed the playoffs now for two years in a row, and it looks like it's about to be three. What makes you think anything will be different next year? And his answer was was something like, uh, we'll see. Uh, I don't know. I believe. Something, something like that. Just, oh, man, he has no idea what he's doing. And I think what's going on in his head, he's trying to, as you said, kind of toe the line between rebuilding and trying to make the playoffs. And be, so – the rebuilding line is where you get these small moves like trading Nate Thompson, Nick Cousins, Marco Scandella, that kind of thing for, for these futures, for these draft picks. Uh, and on the other side of it, uh, because well, because Mark knows that uh, that's the right thing to do for this mediocre team. But on the other side of it, you have him knowing, well, if he blows up this team that he kind of just started building, uh, he's probably gonzo. He's probably uh, fired pretty much right away. So as as I've said before, if he's making these decisions based on his own job security, then that's all you need to know that his time should be up and they should start the search for somebody else. Um, these all these contradictions like that one, contradictions like like uh, saying he wants to build through the draft, like you said forever, but also not selling high on on Tatar and Petrie and get an insane amount of of high draft picks and and. Uh, high-level prospects that, that could have uh, set the Canadians up so well for the future. And um, I was not expecting to either Tatar or Petrie to move going into deadline day. So I wasn't disappointed when it didn't happen. But uh, some Canadians fans were, were still holding out hope and their frustration was quite evident on Monday. Yeah, it's just uh, like when you look at these moves on paper, it looks like Bergevin is doing a good job. But it's, it's these press conferences, these interviews that are really telling and show that this guy has, you know, just no direction. And frankly, he probably should be fired at this point because I like he just he sees like he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, and when when an organization loses direction, that is when you start middling in mediocrity for God knows when until you finally hire a guy who, who you know, picks up the pieces and, and brings it forward. And it just seems like there's nobody in this organization right now who's taking that role, uh, whether it's ownership from Jeff Molson uh, down to, you know, Mark Bergevin and whatever, the coaching staff and all that. Uh, it's just uh, it, there's no direction to this team. Uh, I don't expect any sort of, you know, playoff contention uh, anytime in the near future. And, yeah, I mean, I, I just the future is promising, sure, 
But with a guy who doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to taking the next step in Bergevin, uh, I just I, my belief in no matter how good these prospects are, uh, is just that uh, we'll always be good, not great. And I don't see Bergevin taking that step to great. Uh, another quote I want to point out in this in this thing uh, in this article that I thought was fascinating and frankly this one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. Uh, so he actually went back and talked about that Sergeyev Jouet trade, uh, and so. You know, he said he admitted that the circuit trip trade hurt his blue line, uh, but that Drouet has yet to reach his full potential, uh, and that until he does, it's hard to compare both players. And then the the worst part of this whole thing, he adds that after losing Radulov, it felt important to bring a Quebecer into the fold. Now, frankly, that's the stupidest shit I've ever heard in my life. Uh, I just, I what the fuck, man? Like, uh, it just it seems like these trivial things are driving Bergevin's moves at this point, too. Oh, you want to keep Kovalchuk? Let's give him some options. Let's lose some assets. Uh, you what? You want a Quebecer on the team? Okay, sure. Let's let's trade for one in Drouet, who's been uh, pretty underwhelming, frankly, uh, despite the fact that he's older than Sergachev. And so I think it's totally fair to compare those players. Uh, and I, you know, I'd, I'd say that you'd even have to give Sergachev a boost. Uh, in terms of value, given that he's younger than Drouin. And so uh, just uh, just overall competence. And his it, my problem is not the trade. It's the rationale behind the trade. And that seems to be flawed across the board uh, for this general manager. Yep, uh, I agree with you about that. Um, one thing, this article is a translation from French. So it is possible some stuff, uh, maybe meaning got lost. But with this feeling... Like you need a Quebecer? Or, uh, no, I don't see how that could have possibly been misconstrued. And uh, to be totally honest, I thought we were past that as a franchise, feeling like we needed uh, people from Quebec on the team. Uh, the Drouin trade, a lot of people liked initially. I, I still defend it because even though Drouin hasn't been very good since coming back from injury, he was absolutely fantastic to, to start the season. And I could totally see him reaching that level of play again next season. Uh, Sergachev, of course, has been uh, fantastic, too, with the Lightning. Him and uh, Kevin Shattenkirk have formed possibly the best second pairing in the NHL. But, uh, yeah, so this this needing a Quebecer on the team thing, I I didn't realize that, that was even on Mark Bergevin's mind. And uh, part of me hopes that he's he's saying that to to appease uh, a, a friend, the French demographic, demographic that La Presse reaches. But uh, I'm not sure if I could totally buy that. I'm not sure if I believe it. This could very possibly be uh, the actual uh, thought process that he went through. Yeah, and it just seems like uh, yeah, I don't know how many times I've said it at this point, but uh, yeah, his, his his thinking is flawed when it comes to player acquisitions. Maybe it just happens to be that he makes a bunch of good trades uh, when it comes to asset management. But uh, when like, sure, you make a bunch of good trades, but if you want to take that next step, you want to have you need to have that mindset of okay, we're going for it. Uh, or we're going on a rebuild. It just seems that this guy is he's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, he just thinks, okay, well, I want a Quebecer, or I want Ilya Kolchuk back, back because he's nice and he does good things off the ice. Uh, and it just seems that, you know, whatever. It's like uh, he, he has no long plan. He talks about five-year plan, but it doesn't seem like he has one at all. It just seems like he's going day by day. Uh, and based on how he likes the player or how he's feeling about the state of uh, Quebec in the franchise, uh, that he'll, he'll make an according move. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that I've said my piece on Burge right there. Anything else you want to add before we move on? Well, I want to I stick with this article for a minute. Um, 
Uh, maybe something that will make us a little bit happier. It's been a while since we've talked about uh, Cole Caulfield, first-round pick of the Montreal Canadiens 2019, 15th overall. Uh, my favorite player of all time, I would I would say, even though he has yet to play an NHL game. Uh, I love him very much. And in this article, Bergevin talks about, uh, well, in the, this interview, he talks about Caulfield a little bit, and he says that they're going to, they ex- ex- expect that they're going to suggest to Cole Caulfield that he stays one more year at University of Wisconsin, uh, which would be next season, of course, to continue developing before he turns pro. Uh, Or possibly he would play next year with the Laval Rocket, but he doesn't think that Caulfield is ready for the NHL. And uh, I was kind of disappointed about this, uh, even though I don't think it's going to change anything about Caulfield's development. Because personally, I think he is ready for the NHL, possibly right now, uh, thanks just to his, his goal-scoring ability. His t- Wisconsin was last place in their conference, and he was their, uh, not their, not just their leading scorer, the leading scorer of the, the entire Big Ten, I think, uh, in terms of goals and second in points. So that is probably the sign of a player that is certainly ready to make the jump to the NHL. Uh, if he does stay in Wisconsin next season, uh, I expect he'll just uh, dominate even further, and it'll be a similar situation to to Kel McCarr. He was he was overripe, played two years after he was drafted in in college, and then look look at him now. He's probably gonna win the Calder Trophy, uh, or at least uh, be the runner up. Uh, so if Caulfield stays in Wisconsin for next year, I see the same kind of thing happening. If he goes to Laval, or even if he does happen to make the jump to the NHL next season. Um, I don't think there's yeah. any any. I don't think there's anything the Canadians could do that would hinder his development. I don't think there's. I think Caulfield is that good. I think no matter where he plays next season, he's going to be a, a star goal scorer in the NHL. And uh, you know what? I'm gonna make a prediction that he's gonna. When we look back on this draft in ten, fifteen years, he's gonna be the the best player from the draft. Yeah, maybe. I'm certainly. Uh... You know, basically just as excited as you are about this player. Uh, and, you know, we, uh, he's, he's got a very high ceiling. And, uh, yeah, I, just, I can't wait to see him in the NHL. Uh, when it comes to this move here, uh, I, I don't have a problem with it, certainly. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any rush to bring him up to the NHL. I think his development as a prospect right now is the number one priority. But given this news, uh, it just brings into question this whole not selling Tatar and Petrie move uh, even more, I think, because, like, who are you going to add from this team that's going to change this team radically from what it is today? Uh, it's just, I, I have no idea where this extra juice is going to come from. Where, what's going to take you from being 12 points, or I don't know how many points out of the playoffs right now, uh, in, in 66 games in, and what's going to bring you up to a playoff contender or even just a playoff team? Uh, it, I mean, there was always hope that maybe Caulfield was going to bring that juice. Uh, given that he's probably going to stay in Wisconsin now, uh, it's not going to be him. And so you got to wonder uh, what's Bergevin thinking in terms of, you know, where does he think these extra points are going to come from? You know, I have a name actually that I thought of a week ago that could possibly be a trade target for the Canadians in the offseason. Uh, no, no, one, no one's really mentioned this. I just kind of put, put some pieces together in my head. Do you think maybe the San Jose Sharks would be interested in undergoing some sort of, of rebuild and might be selling off a player like Logan Couture, who's under contract for quite a while longer until I think he's about 35 years old, but would certainly 
uh, become the first line center on the Canadians and move the needle quite a bit. And if if you add him to the current team, I think that's you're probably looking at at least a playoff team. Do you think they could maybe make something work there? That's just just a just a name that I that I thought of. I mean, I. I think any big name could certainly help this team, uh, especially in the forward ranks. Uh, we could totally use a you know a goal scorer like Logan Couture. Uh, it's just that you know I don't really like that contract that takes him so old. Uh, and uh, you know I I just I don't know. I think it would totally send mixed messages. And, and and he actually you know he said something in this press conference in this article that goes against that. He says he doesn't want to trade away his futures. Uh, to take any shortcuts in this rebuild, uh, I think this would qualify as exactly that. Uh, and so I don't think it's going to happen. Obviously, you know, it's a, it's a bit of wishful thinking going on here. Uh, wouldn't be the first and... time the Bershamay, wouldn't be the first time the Bershamay, uh did something that went against something that he said, but, uh, but your point still stands, I guess. Yeah, that's true. But uh, you just, I mean, sure, if it happens, uh, you, won't, you won't see me out there protesting in the streets, but... Uh, Look, I, I just I don't know if that's the greatest move for this organization. I think if you really want to contend, I think I think the right move is to is to look two three two three four years down the line. Uh, because and the right move is probably to sell to Tar and Petrie uh, at the deadline. Uh, just based on the fact that this team, uh, I mean, the goal of the whole thing is to win the cup. This team is not going to freaking win the cup uh, at, at, at next year or pro- and almost definitely the year after. Uh, it's not just the fact that it's so hard to win. It's just that the talent on this team uh, is just the makeup of this team is just, you know, not not playoff contender worthy. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, if they trade for Couture, sure. But, like, when they're actually in contention, I mean, how big of a contributor will this guy be? That's, that's what I wonder. Yeah. Uh, two more points in this article I want to talk about. One of them is uh, Alexander Romanov, who the Canadians seem relatively certain is going to come over to North America next year and join the Montreal Canadiens right away. Might not even need any time. Uh, in Laval, Bergevin expects that he'll be playing on the bottom pair, at least to start out. You know, get him used to the North American ice, get him used to the NHL. But uh, probably wouldn't be too long after that. He sees him making the making a jump to bigger minutes against higher quality of competition, becoming a top four defenseman in the NHL. And Bergevin also says that in his entire tenure uh, with the Canadians, that Alexander Romanov is the draft pick that he's the most proud of just because Romanov wasn't on anybody else's radar. I remember he was actually the first player taken in that draft who I hadn't heard of yet. We were we were scratching our heads about it. But uh, if you redid that draft today, Romanov would definitely be a first-round pick, possibly even the top half of the first round in, in 2018. So uh, that's a, that's at least one. A young player that we can be excited about moving ahead into the future. Yeah, it was an absolutely remarkable pick. I mean, we we were like, "What the heck is this guy?" I've never, you know, you talked about never hearing him. Uh, me neither. I'll tell you that. And uh, yeah, just hit a home run. I mean, the second round pick came out of nowhere, and uh, just a couple of years ago, and it just seemed like his stock as a prospect has has just like skyrocketed uh he's been playing great in russia and then you know he, he played solid in the world juniors as well and so yeah absolutely if you do to redraft the 2018 uh definitely in the first round and to get him in the second round solid steal uh and he also mentioned how basically n- no other team uh was even considering taking romanov in the second round and so i think uh, an excellent piece of draft work from mark there uh and next year i mean if he's ready for the jump to the nhl sure 
Uh, I'm all for that. I'm excited, you know, a young guy like that. Definitely excited to see that. I think he'll be uh, an integral part of the future uh, as, you know, as part of that decor. And, and you know, you, you got to wonder uh, if we had him, if we had Zergachev, uh, w- would Jeff Petrie still be on the team right now after that deadline? Uh, it, it, yeah, just a, just a point of thought. Uh, and, yeah, just uh, excited to see Romanov next year. Yeah, and uh, last point I want to talk about, um, in that same draft, actually, 2018, in the, the third round and beyond, Montreal picked uh, four players, uh, Cam Hillis, Alan McShane, Cole Fonstad, and Samuel Oud, who are all, as junior players are, they need to be signed by June 1st of this year, otherwise they are eligible to re-enter the draft, and none of them have contracts, and uh, an interesting little nugget, Bergevin says he only expects the Canadians will be signing one of these players. Um, he he didn't say this like, oh, it's a competition between them. It was just like, oh, yeah, one of these guys uh, we've decided we're going to sign, but we're not going to tell you which one it is. Uh, most people are expecting it will be Cam Hillis, who was the highest pick of them. He was a third rounder and um, is producing the most in junior, but... Uh, I was uh, joined by a couple other people in thinking at least two of these players should probably be signed to deals, possibly maybe even three of them. All of them are over a point a game in their respective junior leagues this season. And I think uh, Hillis definitely, and probably McShane too, maybe even Cole Fonstad, have, the, uh, have, des- have earned a contract and the probably capabilities of turning pro, maybe joining the Laval Rocket next season. So if we are going to see Alan McShane and Cole Fonstad both uh, uh, no longer be properties of the Montreal Canadiens, I think that would that would kind of be a little bit a little bit disappointing for two picks that I looked at as pretty pretty good mid round picks at the time. Yeah, when you when you don't sign a guy to a contract just only two years afterwards, when you never give him a any sort of deal. Kind of disappointing, especially as you mentioned, if this guy is, you know, producing in junior. Uh, but at this point, I don't really question these kind of minor league deals from Bergevin. Uh, we've seen him, you know, come out when it comes to these, you know, small level prospects. Uh, he does pretty well for himself. And so uh, I, I think I place my trust on this on this front here. Uh, if he doesn't believe they're worthy of a contract, sure, that's his evaluation. And I think the only, you know, the only indicator of whether that's the right move is if we look on the future. And if we see Kale Fonstad lighting it up in the NHL anytime soon, uh, I sure as hell will be pissed. But uh, I, I believe in Bergevin that when he, when he, if he believes that uh, that won't happen. Yeah, I can only think of one time recently that uh, a player was drafted and then went unsigned and was drafted by a new team and turned out great. And that's Frederick Anderson, who was originally drafted by the Carolina Hurricanes in uh, 2010, went without a contract, re-entered the draft in 2012, was drafted by the Ducks, and of course rose to prominence and became a starting goalie in the National Hockey League uh, like, like he is today. So unlikely any of these players turn out to be big impact players in the NHL, but uh, still interesting to point out. That's another reason why uh, all else being equals equal, a lot of teams will lean towards uh, college players or European players because you hold on to their rights longer without having to 
sign them to a contract. Where these junior players, you only have two years with their rights, and then if you, if they don't sign with you or you choose not to sign them, then uh, then they re-enter the draft. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so move. I think that wraps it up for the Habs talk. Uh, mm-hmm. Unless you got any other closing remarks on Mark Bergevin's uh, tenure as general manager. Uh, so in that case, we'll move on. Uh, to our weekly standing segment, uh, yet to be named. We've yet to make a decision on that, so send in your submissions and ideas if you have any. Uh, and so let's start off uh, with the Atlantic. And so uh, not much movement. Uh, Boston seems to have grown their lead uh, over Tampa Bay to a hefty seven points, uh, even though Tampa Bay has a game in hand. Uh, and so uh, it looks more and more like Boston's about to win that uh, division. And uh, looking at the fight for third spot in the Atlantic, uh, Toronto uh, taking a pretty sizable lead. Five points at this point. Let me just take a look at the games played. Uh, So Florida only has one game in hand at this point. Uh, Florida, I know that they played against each other, and Toronto ended up winning that one 5-3. And so it looks like Toronto solidifying itself uh, as that last Atlantic team in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, it was looking a lot a couple weeks ago like Tampa Bay was just about to pass the Boston Bruins for first in that division. Then they went on a bit of a a slump, and Boston kept their pace up. Meanwhile, as as you mentioned, Toronto, their lead has grown over the Panthers, so it's looking a lot like we're going to be seeing uh, Toronto versus Tampa Bay in the first round, which would be uh, not only quite a lot of blue and white, but definitely a high-flying, entertaining series. And a nice change for the Leafs, too, not having to face the Bruins for the third year in a row. Metropolitan Division... Uh, has been besides the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, not not such a not such a happy time the last little while. Washington only has three wins in the last ten. Pittsburgh has lost six games in a row, and it was looking like well, well, they had taken the lead in the division, and they lost six in a row. Have fallen to third. Meanwhile, the Flyers, who, as I mentioned, are on a on a hot streak. They've won five in a row, and they've passed the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, they're now second place in the division, only three points behind the Capitals for first. So that that's uh, quite the um, quite the development that the Philadelphia Flyers are undergoing. Ever since they acquired Nate Thompson, let me tell you that that's uh, that'll turn you around right away. Yeah, key contributor on the depth, uh, and also so basically the entire Metropolitan Division at this point is undergoing a slump at the same time, and uh, it's a hell of a time if you're one of those teams that is the exception to that rule, and another another one of those teams aside from the Flyers. The New York Rangers, uh, I know they lost their last game, but they've won 8 of 10. Uh, it seems like they've come out of nowhere uh, to contend for a playoff spot. They've been red hot. Uh, at this point, what, they're two points back of, of the, the the second wild card spot. They have two games in hand over the Blue Jackets, who hold that last spot. Uh, and the Blue Jackets have been uh, god-awful. Uh, we've talked about their regression last week. They've, won, they've still only won one of their last 10. Uh, and so, yeah, the Rangers, something to look out for. Uh, Chris Kreider was... Supposedly one of the top names uh, to be dealt at the trade deadline. They didn't trade him. Uh, they ended up re-signing him to an extension. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he got injured, unfortunately. So he won't be joining them on that uh, for the next little while on this little stretch. Uh, but, yeah, the Rangers, uh, seemingly out of nowhere, uh, maybe even a playoff team, as crazy as it sounds. Yeah, the Islanders, the Blue Jackets are both trending downward and fast. The Carolina Hurricanes are kind of just barely treading water as of late. So there's really a, an unexpected opening now for the Rangers to possibly catapult these teams. They could very possibly be in a playoff spot uh, when we come back next week for our next show. 
Uh, very close. I actually, you might remember, predicted the New York Rangers would make the playoffs this season. Uh, I also said the Penguins would miss, but we don't have to bring that up. Uh, moving on down to the uh, down the Eastern Conference, the Red Wings got a, a loser point against the Senators last night. To uh, they now sit at thirty five points uh, with sixty seven games played this season. So that is, uh, if my math is correct, fifteen games left in the season. They need uh, five points, which would be. Uh, Two wins and an overtime loss is a possibility, or possibly three wins in the last 15 games to eclipse that 40-point watch barrier. Uh, now, if we look at their last 10 games, they certainly have not been on that kind of pace. Uh, they are 1-8-1. One, and one. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we I still hold out hope for this kind of sub-40 season, which in this NHL, in this point system, in this parity, uh, would be truly astounding. Yeah, uh, someone someone had a, a a graphic yesterday. I saw the Red Wings and Kings were at that point eighteen points apart. Now I think that uh, I'm looking at the yeah, there's another nineteen points apart. That's between last place Red Wings and second last LA Kings are nineteen points apart. Meanwhile, the second last LA Kings and the uh, let me let me just scroll up a little bit and the. Florida Panthers, who are 17th in the entire NHL, are also 19 points apart to give you an idea of how far behind the Red Wings are from anywhere close to uh, second last in the entire NHL. Yeah, just a truly remarkably bad team. Uh, Interesting comment from Steve Eisenman. He said that this rebuild could take uh, years. Uh, I think he said something like six, five, five, six years. Uh, And so, uh, yeah, he clearly expects that the Red Wings will be back. And, uh... Yeah, given the, the state of the contracts, the player talent there, uh, I think we can all expect that kind of thing because that team is dog shit, thanks to Ken Holland and his awful management. Uh, so moving on from the Eastern Conference, uh, I wanna, let's let's move on to the uh, the, the Central. Now, right. it seems like out of nowhere... What, yeah? Oh, I just said all right. That's what I said. Okay, all right. So, uh, yeah, it just seems like out of nowhere, the, the Central has just... Those top two teams have exploded... Now, uh, the Blues have won seven in a row. Uh, the Avalanche themselves have won six in a row. And so uh, we talked about, you know, these teams, both of them were kind of struggling. Uh, it's just they both hit their stride uh, after the deadline. Uh, the Blues currently lead by three points over the Avalanche, but the Avalanche do have two games in hand. And so, yeah, that race is certainly tightening up. Uh, Dallas has kind of fallen behind uh, both of those teams, uh, given their red-hot stretches. And so, uh, yeah, tight central race. And uh, these guys seem to be, these two teams in particular, seem to be heating up down the stretch. Yeah, but, but that's one of the things uh, a lot of times you'll see that the teams that ended up end up going on deep runs or maybe heating up after the deadline aren't the ones who, you know, go for the, the big whatever, I don't know, Taylor Hall sort of acquisitions or maybe not quite at that level, but teams that make small additions like Marco Scandella to the Blues or Vladislav Nemesnikov to the Avalanche. Uh, they don't don't really uh, disrupt the chemistry of a team too much, but uh, at the same time send the sign that a uh, general manager is willing to make sacrifices to the future for the present season. So good for the Blues and the Avalanche. Uh, March is the time of year where you really start thinking about, all right, the playoff picture is about to start really coming together. And you start thinking about uh, maybe bracket challenge sort of things or predicting who would come out on top in a potential series of, I don't know, Dallas and Colorado, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is a, this is the time of year that we all 
we all live for, right? This, this stretch run, so exciting, uh, especially as we near the end of the season. And, and what really beats the playoffs? Nothing. Uh, and so moving on, next division, uh, we see the Pacific. Now, uh, we talked about Vegas earlier with their acquisition of uh, Robin Lehner. He won his first game uh, last time they played. I think it might have been last night. Uh, and so, yeah, we mentioned that they were on an absolute heater. Uh, they've won eight in a row, and it seems like they've cemented their place uh, as uh, the winners of the Pacific, or, or just the leaders of the Pacific. Now, uh, second place, the Oilers. Uh, I mean, they with McDavid back, uh, he, seems to be, he seems to be back to his normal self, uh, superhuman talent. And uh, a little bit of uh, news coming out of Edmonton. Leon Dreisaitl, uh hit 100 points last night, and then hit 101, and then hit 102. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so, certainly maybe even... Uh, I think we can look at him as one of the front runners, uh, certainly one of the finalists uh, for the Hart Trophy this year, given how he's produced consistently throughout the year, uh, and especially how he carried that team after McDavid went down for, for a little stretch. Yeah, I was just about to, to shout out Dry Settle. It's really amazing to be able to hit that 100-point mark. Not even uh, We hadn't even hit March yet at that point. Uh, we've certainly come a long way in the, the five years since Jamie Benn won the Art Ross Trophy with 87 points. Uh, there, there were barely any point of game players in the NHL this season. Now, uh, the, the big spike was last season. We saw Kucherov get to 128. A ton of players uh, hit like over 90 points, and uh, looks like that trend is continuing. So that's a big sign of progress for the NHL in terms of lots of big name talent and lots of offensive production. Yeah, uh, it just seems like Edmonton. Uh, we, we we talked about earlier in the season, like uh, this team is in trouble. Uh, when it comes to that roster, I still hold my doubts, uh, especially surrounding the depth of that team. Uh, but it just seems like that uh, we, we we said that McDavid dries out carrying the team thing wouldn't be sustainable. Uh, but it seems to have been absolutely sustainable because they've been preposterous. Uh, taking a look at that wild card race uh, for the first time in a while, it seems uh, Nashville has snuck into a playoff spot. We we I think I I basically had them off as had written them off as dead earlier in the season, but they've made a nice little comeback, uh, especially since firing Peter Laviolette. Uh, and so, yeah, this wildcard race, very tight. Uh, looking at Calgary, who's got who's one point ahead of Nashville, uh, and looking down the standings, uh, the Jets and the Coyotes have the same amount of points as the Preds. Uh, the Wild is the Wild are only one point behind that. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, certainly an exciting wildcard race. Uh, this Western Conference is shaping up to be. And uh, we're, we're definitely going to be looking at a team that bought uh, that's probably going to miss the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'm going to be pulling for down the stretch is for the, the Flames to, to go on a little bit of a, uh, of a nice little run and for the Canucks to maybe slow down a little bit so that we could possibly get a battle of Alberta in the playoffs for what I think would be the first time since the 1980s. Um, but yeah, looking at the, the wild card, this one's really, really close. Calgary... Nashville, Winnipeg, Arizona, Minnesota. Right now, just two of those teams are in the are in a wild card spot, and only two points separate them. So that's going to be something that could quite possibly go down straight to the wire, uh, possibly the the very last day of the regular season. I'm not sure if maybe any of those teams play each other on the last day. That'd be interesting, like we had with Colorado and St. Louis a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember, but uh, yeah, that will certainly be uh, an interesting thing to watch unfolding. Uh, Minnesota also maybe uh, I think yeah I, I did just mention them but for a team that started off so poorly who we all thought was dead who traded away Jason Zucker and was rumored to be selling some other bigger pieces 
um, the fact that they're still very much in the thick of the playoff hunt is uh, is pretty remarkable. Yeah, and I just want to point out something interesting when it relates to Vancouver. Now, uh, you talk about them, you know, if they cool down a bit, we see uh, Battle of Alberta, but if the Canucks cool down too much, they're only two points up uh, on the Jets right now uh, when it comes to the playoffs. And so, uh, you yeah. know, they bought Tyler Toffoli ahead of the deadline. And so I don't think Vancouver... Or, or even Edmonton, really. They're only four points ahead of, you know, four points in. Uh, I don't think either of those are really a lock for the playoffs right now. Uh, something to definitely keep a track of. I mean, Vancouver, uh, they lost their goalie, Jacob Markstrom, for the next little while, a couple of weeks. Uh, and so they have to rely on uh, relative youngster, uh, Thatcher Demko, uh, for the next little while. Something to keep an eye on. Uh, I know Thatcher Demko is now on my fantasy team, and he hasn't been so, so hot. Uh, hmm. And they've lost a couple in a row now. And so, uh, yeah, something to keep track of. Yeah, uh, yeah, Vancouver is definitely not in the clear. So, uh, as I say, pretty much every week at this point, standings could look quite different the uh, next week. And I think this is the first time that there actually has been quite a bit of movement. Uh, Philadelphia, uh, for one thing, and uh, a little bit in the West, a little shake-up the first time we've had that in a few weeks. So, uh I think that uh, is most likely a wrap for this week. Uh, we are just about to hit an hour and a half. Uh, I remember at the, at the beginning of the season, we had trouble hitting 40 minutes. So quite the quite the development we've undergone in this short amount of time. Uh, we'll be back next week, March 8th. Uh, Canadians will have played uh, a couple games at that point. Their schedule is about to slow down as we head into March. More spaces between games. Uh, oh, we didn't mention uh, Charlie Lindgren actually played last night. Uh, finally. Um, I don't know if you had any last minute thoughts about that. I haven't really prepared you. Maybe a very quick thing right at the end. Sure. I mean, I'm just happy to see that this guy has played. Uh, it seems like he has no playing time whatsoever. Uh, and uh, yeah, just I, I mean, I, I would I would have loved to see him play more this season. Uh, and uh, yeah, just that, that's about it. Uh, unfortunate. And uh, yeah, just good to see that prices has got some rest. Maybe now that they've really been eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, that we see Price's workload really slow down. Because at this point, I think he's on pace to play 63, 64 something games. Uh, and that's just ridiculous. Yeah, Keith Kincaid also was loaned to the Charlotte Checkers, who are the minor league affiliate of the Carolina Hurricanes. Makes sense because Carolina just had to call up both goalies from the Checkers. I'm not sure who their fifth string goalie is. So now Keith Kincaid will probably be carrying the load for that team, while Caden Primo and Michael McNeven tandem with the uh, Laval Rocket. So, uh, yeah, so now that that's really it on this week, subscribe on Google Play, subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening and uh, send in your ideas for what we should name that unnamed standing segment. Sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of